Lord, especially of you, and we are grateful for that. You are tremendously blessing to us as we labor together to make Christ's name be reflected. We are such a delight to, to spend time with you, friends that Mike and Andy and Brian and Lisa, but it's also been wonderful to get to know many of you uh, over the past couple of days. It's been joyful to get to know your pastor, Andy, and to hear of his love for God's Word and for the Bible, and uh, to be blessed to have him. Well, I must say, uh, in the last days, I have been able to spend time with my pastor, Mike Miller, and all of the wonderful pastors and teachers who work for the
God intends to display His glory through the church. And so, now a local church exists to proclaim that glory, God's glory, in the face of Jesus Christ. That means we are to glorify God by simply being the church. The local church must not only proclaim the gospel, but live lives that are changed by the gospel. Remember what Jesus said in John 13, uh, 34 to 35? He said, the new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Friends, our Christian identity, our calling, involves other Christians. Christian faith is personal, but it's not private. We're saved by grace alone, faith alone, and Christ alone. But remember that Christ has saved us into a body, and He has called us to be committed to one another in love, a holy, Christ-like love that demonstrates to the world that we have been changed by the gospel and that we belong to our Savior. This is His divine design. And so, this evening, I want to encourage you from a passage that is not just important for a church like ours in the Middle East, uh, but for you as well. I know you'll have a lot of questions, and I hope to address some of that in the Q&A time. Uh, But for now, if you have a Bible, please turn with me uh, in your copy of the Scripture to Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 to 13. Hebrews 3. there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm. It's a warning that we should return to quite often. Friends, this is the word that you want to have over your doorway so that you can look at it when you leave. This is the verse you want in your living room. This warning in the letter to the Hebrews was written to Christians who were going through a very difficult time in their lives. This letter was probably written about 60, uh, 70, 80, and that date is significant because we know that the emperor Nero reigned from about 54 to 68 A.D. in Rome. So his reign, Nero's reign, marked one of the bloodiest eras of Christian persecution. And not only was the persecution unbearable, 
but Christians constantly faced the temptation to deny Christ. Some of them were even tempted to go back to Judaism. Now, what would you say to these Christians? These Christians who, who needed to hear words of encouragement and exhortations to, to persevere. Well, for one thing, the writer reminds them that to return to Judaism would be a foolish thing to do because the fullness of God's revelation has come in Jesus Christ. Think about Hebrews 1, 1 to 3. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom He also created the world. He, that is the Son, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. He upholds the universe by the word of His power. So the writer is saying, have, have you forgotten who saved you? Jesus did. The one who made the universe is the one who died in your place for your sins. He died so that you would have eternal life. Have you forgotten that you have put your faith in this one? Jesus is superior to the angels. He's greater than Moses. He's better than Joshua. He is the greater high priest. Better than Aaron. He mediates a better covenant. His sacrifice is superior to all those Old Testament sacrifices. So don't grow weary. Consider him. Look at him who endured such hostility against sinners. Go out and bear his reproach. You are sons. Savior, suffering the glory. He himself was, he himself suffered when he was tempted. Therefore, he is able to help you. He's able to help those who are tempted, you and I. But along with all those encouragements, what does the writer do? He gives them warning. And he says, if you want to miss Jesus, he brings us salvation. Verse 14, for we, note the plural there, note the plural throughout this, this passage, for we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. That's a big if, isn't it? Now, notice that it doesn't say that we will share in Christ if we hold our original confidence. That is, our profession of faith till the very end. No, to the contrary, it says we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. In other words, here's what he means. 
holding our faith firm to the very end is evidence and proof that we are in Christ. So confident Christians, those who believe that they are genuine sons who have assurance of salvation, that's what I mean by confident Christians. Confident Christians are thankful Christians. They are watchful Christians. Holding on to our faith despite temptation, persecution, or any other threat will reveal the reality that we have already had assurance. We are united to Him by faith. Now, this Sunday, you heard that God's people are those who have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. I want to speak to you this evening that those who have tasted of the goodness of Christ are powerful to keep tasting and delighting in goodness. So I want to show you from this text what that carefulness looks like and why it matters. So those are the two points that I talked about. What does that carefulness look like? And two, why it matters. So let's think about that first point, what that carefulness looks like. The writer says, look at verse 12 in your Bibles, verse 12, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Think about that. Evil, unbelieving heart. Now, why is that? Evil, unbelieving heart. Why is that? Well, if you read the first half of chapter 3, you'll see what he means by that. In chapter 3, he speaks about Israel in the desert and how they hardened their hearts in rebellion to the Lord who rescued them from slavery. In spite of all the wondrous signs that God did, in spite of all the ways that He cared for them and provided for them, they fumbled against His goodness. They longed for Egypt instead. They rebelled against God's wisdom. They did not trust Him, despite hearing His voice. But, as a result of that, disobedience, God punished them. An entire generation perished because of their unbelief. Now, chapter 4, verse 2 says this, For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard was not from the Lord. Why? Because they were not united by faith by those who chose to listen. You know, another way of saying that is that they weren't believers. And so they did not enter the land, which is a picture of salvation rest. And so the writer's use of what happened to Israel after the Exodus serves us, serves us, the church, as, as a warning. The Exodus, after all, is a picture of our salvation. Like Israel, we were once in bondage to our sins. We were unable to save ourselves, but God delivered us, didn't He, from the slavery of our sins. And he did that by sending us a deliverer, a savior, one greater than Moses, one who died in our place, one who took our punishment and our judgment upon himself so that we might live, that we might be free, that we might have eternal life and be free to worship him. Friend, if you're here this evening and you are not a Christian, Christ, you are not a Christian. 
able to forgive you of all your sins and reconcile you to God. So turn away from that. Put your trust in Him. Don't argue your heart, but believe. Trust Him with all of your heart. Come to Him and never, never leave. So when the writer says to these Christians, take care, he means watch out. Watch out for that kind of heart. Evil and unbelieving, one that causes you to fall away from the living God, just like those Israelites. Now, he doesn't mean that true believers will fall away. Jesus said in John 10, verse 28, I give my sheep eternal life, and they will never perish. And no one, no one will snatch them out of my hand. The Lord preserves His blood-bought sheep through the Spirit. Now, what the writer means is that if you have that kind of heart, that will lead you to fall away. So, you might wonder, well, what's the point of the warning if true believers never perish? Well, the warning given to us in the Word, His Spirit-inspired Word, is the means by which the Lord preserves His people. So true believers read the Word and keep it in their patient witness. They will heed the warning. And so the writer does not assume that just because you're in the church, you're a Christian. He doesn't assume that. Take care. Take care. solution is not to look inside of you and think, well, am I a believer? Do, do I really believe? Am I, am I born again? Well, let me think. Yes, I am. So, I guess I'm tempted. Now, those are important questions to ask, but they're not enough. Look at the text. That's not what he wants us to do. Look at verse 13. Notice that the warning is collective. Even the solution is collective. Verse 13. But exhort one another every day, daily, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Exhort each other. You know, exhorting or encouraging each other is not about making people feel good about themselves. That's not what biblical encouragement is. It's not about being a good Southerner. No, it's, it's doing something that will move someone else to think differently, feel differently, and live differently. That's what exhortation means. That's the kind of encouragement he's talking about. That means that obedience to this command will sometimes require you to offend Southern a month, or once a week, but look at the text, daily, as long as it is at, as it is called today, as long as you have the opportunity, as long as it is the now, as long as you're hearing the word. Now, how long is your today, dear friend? Do you know? Today. So, exhort one another. That means that your meetings with one another ought to be Purposeful. You ought to think about the ministry of the Word among each other. 
of speaking the truth in love to one another. And it is the younger members of God's church, particular members, that have the role of helping to equip you to do that. Moms, think about being that brother. Men, think about that next level of brother. Single men, because of our marriage, so that none of you, none of you, not some, none may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Friends, this is a community project. This is a one-another soul protection program. You know, your Christian growth depends on other members who ought to be committed to you in love. That's what meaningful church membership is all about. Now, you might think, well, Yes, he does. But how does he do it? He uses his people as means, as instruments of his grace in the world. Beloved, we must exhort one another because guess what? Sin fools us all the time. That's what it means when we say I'm sinful. It fools us. And I have some disappointing news for you. Whether you are a new Christian or you have been a Christian for 50 years, you are not that kind.
that they cannot see. Who, who really would have those hard conversations? Because that's the most loving thing you can do. So if you see your 40-year-old married friend standing at the counter at Cracker Barrel, tucking in his, in his tummy, and then turning on his Boris charms in front of a pretty 20-year-old Texas waitress, without even realizing it, that's not going to be good. Your friend is loving you because he's trying to Brother needs to be exhorted about his slippery surface, about the weakness of the flesh, about the holiness of God, the sanctity of marriage, the pursuit of purity and righteousness. And perhaps you need to say, hey, brother, how's your Bible reading?
faithful so you will be devoted to one another in brotherly love with humility and gentleness. You will patiently bear with each other, forgiving, encouraging, and building one another up, exercising watchfulness over each other and admonishing one another when necessary. That's straight out of Colossians 3, 1 Thessalonians 5, and verse 31. So friends, ask yourself, does your relationship with your church family center around a mutual desire to help each other become more like Jesus? When you get together with friends from church, how deep do those conversations really go? And if those conversations are superficial, what does that tell you about what you really value? You know, a person who understands this warning will not be satisfied with superficial conversations. The content of our exhortations need to be thoroughly grounded in the gospel. These Hebrew Christians needed to be reminded of the gospel in the midst of their persecution. They were tempted to leave the faith. Sin was gently whispering into their ears, saying, deny Christ and all the suffering will be will be over. Not worth it, won't it? And they needed to be exhorted that Christ was with them in their suffering. They needed to be reminded that this temptation of temporary relief was a lie. Thank you. 
those who worship at the altar of seven cultural traditions with respect to Jesus and complete and all restored relationship with him. We demonstrate to the world that we have been forgiven, not primarily because we, we memorize God's word or we pray before meals or tie the filthy cloth or, or, or listen to Christian radio stations. We demonstrate to the world
get cleaned. So I see that stuff. I see, I see how every, every, every bit of this is flavored. 